Hey, Connect family, PD here. Just want to shout out to you. We're not with you this morning. In fact, we're uh, down in Alabama spending some time with family, some much needed time with my in-loves, as we like to say. Uh, me, Stace, and the kids are down there. And then we got a little business um, event the following week where some of the Connect leaders are coming down to Bama to be able to just grow and get better at our Grow Conference. I'll be with you a week from this Sunday. But I am excited to be able to introduce to you our guest this morning. Um, he is going to continue our series, Be a Champion. And I hope you've enjoyed this series so far. It has been powerful from the start. And I believe it's going to go to a whole other level this morning. Uh, Jason Goslin is with us this morning. He is a, he's really a son to us spiritually. Um, his beautiful wife and beautiful daughter are also with us. We love them so much. I want you to know this is family. We don't just have people in that we don't know. We have friends and we have family come in. These are really not friends, these are family. I hope that you are blessed as he continues the series this morning. I think you're gonna enjoy him, his sense of humor, his wit, and his command of the scriptures has continued to escalate and grow. And I've watched the hand of God on his life. Be prepared to be ministered to in a powerful way. Would you give a warm welcome to Jason Goslin? God bless you. You guys are too kind, too kind, too kind. How you doing okay? Yeah. Doing all right? How many are grateful for your pastor and his wife and his family? But give it up for them one time, right? And, and listen, just before I get going, I know you guys were just introduced to me, but I'll tell you a little bit more about me before I do. I want to honor... Not just Pastor Derek, but the Fry family. I know two weeks ago you heard from, from Pastor Ernie talking about not letting go of a dream, but not just waiting for faith to do something, but making a decision to trust that God's intended more for you and to go ahead and pursue that dream. Then last week you heard from Pastor Derek talking about the next generation and how it's a great opportunity for us to invest in the next generation, but also for the next generation to trust in and glean from the previous generation. Otherwise, we're one generation away from losing the truth we know, or we truly can be one generation away from changing the world. So it is an awesome, awesome family. Um, and again, Pastor Ernie, I see him in the back with his beautiful wife, Randa. I just want to honor him. What an amazing thing to see, not just Pastor Ernie and Pastor Derek, but that third generation, Devin, coming in and stepping into his calling. And just, if you don't know this, third generation in the same house is not common. It's just not. Whether it's competition or strife or just the family not being as strong as it professes it is, this family is as strong as it professes it is. So would you honor the Fry family with me? Not just because they're great people. They'll point to God in, in their life, and that's what they're going to point to. But would you just honor them for their investment? You guys can stand. That's fine. It's an amazing thing, an amazing thing. And whether you know it or not, you're part of a move of God. You know, for a third generation to be here and investing and sowing into the ministry that his second generation is here and the patriarch is here. And obviously the patriarch would point to God, but it's an amazing thing to watch. So I hope you're grateful to be part of it. It's an amazing, amazing thing. Um, my name is Jason uh, Goslin. Pastor Derek just kind of introduced me. My beautiful wife, Lilia, is in the back with our little bundle, Willow Grace, who is seven and a half months old, um, trying not to disturb the whole service. Um, but she is an amazing thing. And we go to Lifesong Church, which was planted out of uh, previously Metro West Worship Center almost nine years ago, which is crazy to think about. We've been there almost last three years. We just purchased a building. We've been in our new building for about two years. We've seen that church go from about 415 people on a Sunday to just about 1,000 people every Sunday morning. And it's an amazing thing to see God do things. Crazy to think that this church that was probably nine years ago, 250 people, 
take 35 to 40 of them, plant them out in the Blackstone Valley to see this church, around seven, 800 people, see Lifesong at about 1,000 people. Crazy to think that almost 2,000 people are hearing God's message every Sunday morning because people are faithful. So it's an awesome thing. You're part of that. Don't forget for a second you're part of a move of God. But like I said, we're at Lifesong. We're there with our whole family. Um, At Lifesong Church, I'm the dream team coordinator. So I get to process and have conversations with folks looking to get involved on a Sunday morning. We love that. Um, Everything volunteering. I love having those conversations. My wife Lily and I get to do that. We've got about 300 people on our volunteer team. That is not me saying, hey, look what we're doing. We just have great folks, just like you do here at Connect. Your volunteer team is incredible. Let me just tell you, from the second I walk through these doors, said in between services, you guys are so, so, so generous, so sweet, and so just serving. It's an awesome thing. I know your pastor's proud of you, but your God is too. Um, so we see a lot going on there, but our whole family's there. My brother, his wife, they're two kids. My nephew Isaac's almost 10 years old. My niece Paige is coming up on eight. Uh, my sister, her newly married husband, they got married last month, are at Lifesong with us as well. My mom and dad are there. Um, Lilia's sister, Victoria, and her husband, Joe. Some of you might remember them. Uh, Joe is our worship director at Lifesong Church. And then my, and their two kids, Selah and Symphony. Uh, not very creative of a worship guy to name his kids Selah and Symphony. But, you know, he did a good job with that. But those two girls, Selah almost four, or just about four, and Symphony almost two. And then my mother-in-law, Jenny Hopewell. Some of you know her well, too. So our whole family's at Lifesong together. It's a great, great thing to kind of raise our families together. So. But it is truly special to be back here at Connect Community Church, formerly Metro West Worship Center. I sat back in that corner in 2004 and gave my life to Jesus, and nothing's been the same. Um, so it is awesome to come back here and kind of share with you. So I'm hoping someone leaves here different today, not because they heard from me, but they encountered God in a real way. Amen? Amen. All right. Let me jump in real fast. Um, Be a Champion, the series that Pastor's talking about, and they started. When he asked me to speak, I, was, I actually spoke at Lifesong Church last week. I uh, did the three services there, and I prepared a message um, about the abundant life God's intended versus the redundant life we often live. Pastor Derek goes, do you want to share, do you have anything you want to share at our Be a Champion series? I can give you an outline. I was like, no, I think this will fit. You know, the, the, the intention of God for our life compared to the reality we often see and the role we play in that, and why there's such a gap. And I just thought it was really cool that God is doing so much more than we ever give him credit for. That God would put something on my heart to share at my home church, and then pastor would call me and say, hey, do you want to share on the 20th at our church? And it just, it's just really cool to watch the way that lined up. So I'm excited about this message. So let's jump in. Let me pray real fast, and then we'll go. God, thanks so much for your hand on this church. Thank you so much for your hand on our lives. Thank you first and foremost, above all that, just your intention for who we are. You've intended us for so much more than we could ever imagine, God. And I pray that as, as I'm communicating this message that you put in my heart, it's not my words, it's not something that we've prepared, it's not a motivational speech, but it's an opportunity, it's a seed that can be planted in a heart that is ready that can lead to transformation. This is not a transaction of information, but is it instead an opportunity for transformation of a life. So I thank you for this opportunity. I pray that this would now be the rest, the rest of these words would be yours. And I thank you and I look forward to the return that'll come from this investment, from your investment in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, and everyone said a great big amen. amen. Well, as I've highlighted, Pastor Ernie kind of kicked off this series talking about not letting up, not letting go of a dream God's put in your heart. No matter who's going to discourage you, no matter who's going to say anything, not letting go of that dream. No amount of time can pass which would disqualify a dream God's birthed in you from the beginning. It was there before you ever dreamt it, and it's not going anywhere. Not just waiting for faith to take hold of it, but making a decision to never let go of that dream. Awesome message. I got to listen to it online. Truly inspirational. If you haven't heard it, grab a CD, get on the website, check that out. Pastor Derek highlighting generation. You know, one generation away from losing the truth or 
one generation away from changing the world. And as a guy who led youth ministry here for, for almost six years, you know, being invested in the Activate Youth Ministry, which is awesome to see the 14-year-old kids that were there when I was there, now 20-something years old, sewing into what is now AYM. Like, I can't even make eye contact because I'll lose it. Wow. One generation away from changing the world. If not just the next generation would be invested in by the previous, but if the previous generation would be trusted by the next what can really happen. We truly can change the world. So it's just awesome to see all you young people now a little bit older doing big things. It's amazing to see that. So I'm excited, all right? I'm gonna jump right into um, this message. And the reason I, I came up with it, we do director's cut. You guys do at the movies, right? You guys remember your at the movie series? We do director's cut at Lifesong Church. And what I did is I took The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Who's seen that movie? Anybody seen that movie? Okay, a few of you. wasn't as popular as one way you thought. I enjoyed it. Uh, it was a short story. James Thurber wrote a short story back in 1939 about a guy named Walter Mitty. And then in 1947, Danny Kay was the original Walter Mitty. I don't know if you've seen that. But in 2013, Ben Stiller was the latest and greatest secret life of Walter Mitty. But the reason I chose that movie to, to have an opportunity to look at culture through God's lens versus looking at God's word through culture's lens was because Walter Mitty was a guy I kind of related with. If you've seen the movie, you know he's kind of a mundane guy. He's a plain guy. He's just kind of average, all right? Nothing exciting about him. It's kind of, they do a good job in the film. But the scene, the movie opens with Walter having a crush on a girl he works with named Cheryl. And he overheard, he overheard Cheryl have a conversation with one of her coworkers. They mentioned an eHarmony profile. And we're neither for or against eHarmony, so if you have a profile, it's okay. <laughs> but Walter overhears a conversation about that profile, and rather than talk to her in person because he's nervous and kind of a plain guy and a little mundane, he... He goes and creates a profile so he can interact with her. Sounds great, but his profile isn't working. So he calls eHarmony, and he has a phone conversation with one of the account reps saying, I think my page is broken. Interesting dialogue over the phone, and never heard of a broken page. I'm trying to send a wink. It doesn't work. So the guy, the account rep for eHarmony, logs onto his page and says, I'm noticing you've left the about me and the been there, done that section blank. And Walter responds with, yeah, I skipped it. Well, why did you skip it? And Walter's response struck me because he said, I don't think I've done anything or been anywhere noteworthy or mentionable. And what I thought about is not just poor Walter, but I often th I thought about myself. I thought about people I have conversations with where oftentimes we're left wondering, have I ever done anything mentionable or noteworthy? Maybe it's not an eHarmony profile. Right? Maybe that's, you know, that, the eHarmony profile prompted Walter to think those thoughts. Maybe it's not that for you. For me, I don't have an eHarmony profile. If I did, I'd have to have a long conversation with my wife, which would be weird. <laughs> but what I did have was an experience where I had, a, I had our baby. I didn't have our baby. She had our baby. Otherwise, <laughs> it'd be much more noteworthy of a conversation. <laughs> but we had our daughter, Willow Grace, in December. And what it did is it caused me to just really almost hit pause on everything up to that point and reflect and wonder. And you guys have these, when you have a child, you have these scrapbooks where you... You're eventually going to give it to your child when they get a little older so they can appreciate it. But there's a page for mom where you put a baby picture of mom and who mom is and what mom loves and things mom likes. And Lilia's page is this elaborate, professional, scrapbooked creation. There's like three-dimensional pop-outs that come out and all these poetic verses. And then you look at my page. And it's just void of anything creative. <laughs> and it's not just because I'm not as creative as my wife when it comes to scrapbooking, but it's because I truly didn't know what would I want to relay to my daughter about who I was before she got here? What have I done that's mentionable? What have I done that's noteworthy? What would make her proud to be like, you know what, that's, that's my dad. 
Here's who he was before me. And it causes you to think about it. And maybe for you, it's not having a kid. It's not an eHarmony profile. Maybe it's just big events in your life. If you're a young person, maybe it's a high school graduation. It causes you to think about what have I been up to now? What do I want to be moving forward? Maybe it's a college graduation. Maybe it's going to a, a leadership program or a four-year university or an associate's I don't know. Maybe it's getting your first job. Maybe it's losing that job and having to search for another job. Maybe it's a promotion. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's something not so enjoyable. Maybe it's a divorce or a death. I believe we are all confronted with things that cause us to pause and reflect on who we've been and wonder who we're going to be after that event. The movie uses an eHarmony profile, but I think life does that to us. I don't know if you can relate, but I can relate. You know, just in that conversation where Walter's having a, a talk with the account rep, he has this daydream. And the conversation kind of drops, and they come back to the conversation, and the account rep goes, did you pass out, or, you know, what happened? And he goes, no, I just drifted off. And the guy asks, do you do that a lot? And Walter says, a normal amount. And what I thought about is how we often find ourselves daydreaming, thinking about what we wish our life was, regretting what it may have been, to the point where we drift off what we think is a normal amount. So I don't know what it is for you today. I don't know what situation you've been confronted with, or experience that's got you daydreaming, what you might think is a normal amount, but I believe God's got more for your life than what you thought. But have you ever done that? Have you ever daydreamed? Anybody watch 24? Anybody watch 24? Two hands in the front, I love it. <laughs> it's on Monday nights, right, Jack Bauer fans? Tuesday mornings for me are never the same. I watch the show on Monday, every, everyone's tailgating. I'm very upset at every car on the road. I'm skeptical of everyone I encounter. <laughs> I notice every tick on a digital watch. Phone rings don't sound the same, and I just, I think everyone's out to get me. You know, I'm very alert, to the point where I find myself having conversations with Chloe, and Lily is like, who's Chloe? I'm like, it's just, never mind, Chloe's not real. Chloe's not real. We don't have to have that conversation. I play basketball a couple nights a week, and often watching the game prior to mine, I find myself daydreaming that I suddenly have a leaping ability. And once my game starts, someone's about to get dunked on real quick. And that there's a scout in the crowd that lives in the local area who used to scout for the NBA. And he goes, you know what, that guy, he's good. i got to talk to him. And then the game starts and my Achilles tears or my ankle rolls or whatever. But I drift off into those situations. Maybe it's not basketball or a TV show. You know, sometimes at work, <laughs> I'll catch myself daydreaming that just, you know, my boss stands up and says, you know what, I have an announcement. I'm resigning today because I, not because I can't do my job, but I know he, he could do it better. <laughs> And I want to give him my salary. I just, think, I just think he's earned it. And then my coworkers just stand up and start the slow clap. <laughs> We've been waiting for this. I want him to have my salary too. Working for him will be a joy. I'll do it for free. And then something snaps you out of it. You're like, oh, you're, all, you're still here? Oh, okay. <laughs> Sometimes I daydream that I'm Justin Timberlake. Because I, I think that would be noteworthy and mentionable. <laughs> maybe conflict you guys ever get in a conflict with someone else and after the conflict you daydream about what you should have said oh yeah for days right it's not just like an hour it's like for days if she said this I should have said oh if I said this it would have been like oh you win <laughs> and if I'm honest in those situations with Lilia sometimes I try to pick the same fight so I can use the line I've been daydreaming about <laughs> for months 
Never, it never works. Don't do that. But you rehearse it, right? You just go over it and over it and over it. And you daydream into this fake world where you're in a fake conflict, but you're fake winning because you're longing to win the argument you lost. But you're lost in it. You get lost in that daydream. Sometimes I daydream about, you know, wanting to spend time with folks that I don't get to see as much, whether it's because life's taken us a different direction or, you know, maybe they've passed on or whatever it is. You know, I think about what it would be like to see them again. And here's the point. I think we all experience things in life, TV shows, basketball leagues, death, where we're left wishing we could do something different. We're left wishing it was different. We're left wondering who we've been up to that point and who we're going to be moving forward because we're encountering things that make us think that. And here's why. You know, why did Walter think he's daydreaming a normal amount? Why do you and I think we're daydreaming a normal amount? Why do we see it as normal? I believe each and every one of us in this room wants to live a noteworthy life where people would see our life from outside and say, that is how you live a life. No one wakes up in the morning and goes, you know what, I, I really hope the mundane nature of my existence continues through today and that once I pass on, no one remembers who I am. No one thinks that. We all think the opposite. We all long to make a contribution to something bigger than ourselves. We all long to be loved and remembered by people that we invest in. We all long to be thought of fondly. We all have this innate desire within us that I believe God's put there where we want to live a life worth mentioning and a life that is noteworthy and abundant. And I also believe that that's exactly what God has intended for us since the beginning. I'm not sure exactly where you're at this morning, but I know that there's hard times believing that that's God's intention when you're confronted with the reality you see. I know it. But hear me today. It's exactly what God has intended for you from the beginning, a life that's abundant. If you have your Bible, if you've got your iPad or your Samsung device, if you're using Samsung, we'll pray for you. Apple's where it's at. Just kidding. Don't get upset. <laughs> Open your Bible to John chapter 10. If you want to hold your place in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, you can do that. But I am going to start with John chapter 10, verse 10. And as I said, I believe we all long to live a noteworthy life, a life where we're not just living, but we're alive. We don't want to just live. Pastor Derek always says we're not born to suck air and take up space. We're born to live a life, to be alive, to experience all he's created so we can make a difference in our world. But here's what it says in John chapter 10. You guys there? John chapter 10, verse 10, it says, I have come. This is Jesus speaking. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Everyone say full. John 10, chapter 10, uh, chapter 10 verse 10, full. Some translations use the word abundant. I have come so that they may have life. Jesus is responding after he talks about what the devil's intentions are. And I'll paraphrase, you can read it for yourself. But basically it's to rob, kill, steal, destroy. Everything opposite Jesus stands for. And Jesus says something great. He says, but I. The de basically it means the devil can do whatever he wants. Here's the reality. But I have come so that they may have life and have it to the full. Whether you know it or not, Jesus didn't die on a cross. He didn't come, he didn't die on a cross so that you and I could go to heaven when we die. That's part of it. But he came, he went through what he went through. He thought of us living a life that he would classify as abundant. The Bible says for, he endured the cross. When he was doing that, he wasn't thinking about our funeral and then going to heaven. He was thinking about the life we would live as a result of who he was. And that's a life abundant. It's more than just after we pass. It's about right now. And he says, I have come so that you may have life and have it to the full. You guys also saved your place in Ecclesiastes, right? No, it's okay, go there, it's fine. 
So John chapter 10, verse 10 says, I have come so that they may have life and have it to the full. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 14 says this, Solomon's words, regarded as one of the smartest men ever. I have seen all things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. How encouraging. A chasing after the wind. Some translations use the word redundant. And here's the point. If God's intention is truly what it says in John chapter 10, an abundant life, why do so many of us experience a life that we would classify as a chasing after the wind or redundant? Why the gap? God's intention or reality? Why? And here's why. Here's your big idea for the message, okay? Living an abundant life requires us to first believe that it's exactly what God has intended for us all along. Living an abundant life requires us to first believe that it's exactly what God has intended for us all along. Pastor Ernie talked about it. Not just waiting for faith to figure it out, but making a decision. For life to change, I'm going to give you three areas about redundancy, three areas about abundance. But in order for things to change, you have to first believe God's intentions towards you are different than what you think they are right now. You need to believe that he's planned for you to have an abundant life. And I'm not talking about a Mercedes, hundreds in your wallet, and all that. I'm talking about a life where you feel full. Not a redundant life where you feel like everything's meaningless and a chasing after the wind. It's Monday through Saturday. Cut the grass, go to church, go back to work. Why the gap? I believe the gap is there because we doubt in some corner of our heart that God intends greatness for us here on earth. And in order for you to experience what God's intended, that has to change. We have to believe that God has intended more for us. And I want to give you three areas where we tend to struggle as people. Where we would say, you know what, no, life is redundant. I don't care what he's saying, it's redundant. Here are three areas where you might be experiencing one, two, or all of them. If you would say, you know what, my life feels routine, mundane, and redundant. Here are three areas you might struggle with. Just right at your seat this morning, as you're reflecting, think about yourself and if you might struggle in one of these areas. The first one, if your life seems redundant, we're probably discouraged by comparison. If your life seems redundant, it's probably because you're discouraging yourself with comparison. Four years ago, Lilia and I bought our home right in Framingham, right next to the Ashland line across from Bethany Hospital. And we loved it. We loved our house. Pastor Deej was actually our realtor, man of many talents. But we found that house and we probably looked at about 20 houses and I was constantly discouraged because I didn't like him and he was just smiling. I was like, this guy's crazy. How is he still in a good mood? I'm miserable. But we finally found our house. We went home and we, Lily and I made a list of about 15 to 20 things where we wanted. We're not going to settle. We're going to wait. We believe God will give us what we need and what we want. So we had this list, four cars in the driveway, enough room for them, close to a park, close to the school, close to the store, close to a shopping center, sidewalks on the street so my wife could run 400 miles a month. And then we saw a house that met all of that criteria. And I tell you that not because I want to brag, but because we were over the moon excited about what God had done. We were in love with our house, everything about it. We did not settle at all. Shortly after we moved into our house, we were invited to dinner at a friend's house. I don't think it took long. Pulling up the driveway, I instantly hated our house. <laughs> and part of, me, part of me hated them for having it. I'm just, I'm kidding. I didn't hate them. I'm, I, mean, I mean, I did. I just don't want you to judge me, so it's okay. 
But pulling up, I mean, the landscaping, the lawn, the, the, the sprawling nature of their house, the front porch, the recess lights under that porch. You walk in these big, elaborate, beautiful French doors, Brazilian wood on the floor, granite, marble, everything. I hated our house. Why? Nothing about my house had changed. No one went and adjusted the checklist and took anything off. My house didn't change. But I immediately began to compare my home with their home and hated my home. I couldn't see the greatness. I couldn't be over the moon excited about my house anymore. Not because it changed, but because I was comparing it to someone else's. I had no idea how long they worked to get there. They could have been in debt up to their eyeballs. I may, I may even bet right now that they go to houses where they hate their house. It's human nature to compare. But comparison never puts you in a good spot. I hated my house to the point where when we're in comparison, we get all mental about it, right? Maybe it's not your house. Maybe it's, maybe, it's, maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your physical appearance. Maybe it's your emotions. Maybe it's who God made you to be. Maybe it's your role here at Connect. I don't know. But the minute you begin to compare it to someone else who you deem better than you, you feel worse about what God has done in your life. Hear me. Hear me on this. Comparison corrodes the story God is telling with your life. Comparison corrodes the story God is telling with your life. And oftentimes, if you get far enough along in it and you're comparing your situation to someone else's and feeling crummy about yours, you are then on a mission to find someone else worse off than you so you can feel better about where you're at. No one leaves better with comparison. You feel worse about you until you feel better about you because you feel worse about someone else. Don't compare your situation. I believe this 100%. God put a lot of time and effort into making you, you. With intentionality, attention to detail, on purpose, with a purpose. Why would we spend so much time, intention, and attention to detail making us someone else? God didn't create you so you could mirror someone else. It's intentional. Don't compare you with someone else. You're intentional. He's intentional about how you are. If you're feeling a redundant life, you might be struggling with comparison. Second thing, you might be prioritizing your own comfort. You might be prioritizing your own comfort over something else. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's a past hurt. I'm not sure what it is. All of us in this room have a story. And I would never stand up on this platform and say your story doesn't justify the decisions you're making. I wouldn't do that. You need to process that, get through it, and do it in a healthy way. That's why you're at a church. But here's the reality. The longer you stay in that place where you prioritize your own comfort, the longer your life is going to feel like it's redundant. I understand you're hurt. I understand. We understand. I would never rush you through that process. But understand that God has intended you for more than just prioritizing your own comfort. Maybe you're hurt. Maybe someone's hurt you. Maybe someone's wronged you and you have to forgive that person. It's uncomfortable. Forgiving someone you deem unforgivable hurts. But here's the reality. You, me, and everyone in this place will at some point be the person that someone's deemed unforgivable and need forgiveness. It's uncomfortable apologizing when we've messed up. It hurts. You never want to expose yourself to be hurt by someone who has all the power in the world to hurt you when you apologize. But you have to. Otherwise, your life is going to end up isolated, feeling redundant, because you're pursuing and prioritizing your own comfort over anything else. God has not called us or created us for comfort. He's not. But oftentimes, that's all we want because it's easier. The course of least resistance, we're like water. 
But God didn't create us with all that intention to detail and attention so we could pursue our own comfort over anything else. If you're living a mundane life and you feel redundant, you might be struggling with comparison. You might be prioritizing your own comfort. And the third area, you might be overly cynical. You might be overly cynical. And here's the deal. I have the spiritual gift of cynicism. You're welcome. This is my gift to you. There's no spiritual gift of cynicism. I'm just trying to make myself feel better. But I can be cynical. And I feel like life sometimes, life, life throws a lot at each of us, right? And based on all the stuff we're thrown, we can either be bitter about it or we can become better because of it. But if we're cynical, we're going to be bitter. And oftentimes if I get called out on my cynicism or someone does, it's like, no, no, I'm not being cynical. I'm just being real. I'm not sugarcoating nothing. I'm telling it like it is. No, you're being a jerk. Stop. And that's the reality. It doesn't take a lot of effort to find a problem in a scenario. But oftentimes cynical people overestimate their ability to find the problems and they think no one else sees them. We all see them. But the people that aren't cynical are trying to figure out a solution, not worried about the problem. We can't be overly cynical. So if you're in a seat right now this morning and you're thinking, you know what, my life, I would say it's more redundant than abundant. Ask yourself, am I comparing myself and my situation to someone else? Am I prioritizing and pursuing my own comfort over anything else? And if I let life make me bitter to the point where I'm overly cynical, that could be why. One, two, or three of those areas could be why you're struggling with feeling like your life is a little redundant. But as I said, God has intended us for more. But until you believe that, the next three areas I'm going to give you are merely suggestions and we turn this into a motivational pep talk. In order for your behavior, your actions, your decisions to change, you first have to believe that God has created you for more than just a redundant life. When you believe that, you'll begin to see these three areas that I'm going to highlight as opportunities to point you to him. These three areas I'm going to highlight are not just solve-alls. They're not quick fixes. It's not algebra. We're not solving for X. We have to believe God's intended us for more. And when we do, we'll see these three areas begin to happen organically. This is not, hey, practice these three steps and you'll find God. That's not what I'm saying. So first and foremost, you've got to believe God's intended you for more. But let me give you three areas. As it says in John 10.10, a life that is full or abundant. The first thing we've got to do after we believe God's intended it for us, we have to be encouraged by a spirit of contentment. Rather than comparing ourselves to someone else or our situation to someone else's, we have to be content in who God's made us to be. Philippians 4.12 says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Listen, everyone in here is an answer to something. God didn't have time to kill. <laughs> he saw a situation. He saw a time and place. He saw a community. He saw a time in our history. And he thought of you first. You're an answer to something. You're not God killing time like we used to with Silly Putty and Play-Doh. God is moved with compassion. He's got a purpose. He sees the future. He knows what he needs for right now, and he knows what his community needs for right now, and it's you. You're an answer to something. Psalm 139 says that we were knit together in our mother's wombs. Have you ever watched someone knit? Picture someone knitting right now. Picture someone knitting. I don't know why they're always 97-year-old women. Other people knit, okay? Other people knit. But picture someone knitting, right? It's a process. I mean, it's It's crazy. My grandmother's a knitter. I always ask her, what are you making? I'm making a blanket. There's this little piece of fabric right here. She says, I'm making a blanket. My grandma, that's going to take you 400 years. <laughs> and she's smiling the whole time. She's not aware of her knuckles hurting. She's not aware of the needles. She's not aware of how long it takes to do this. She sees the blanket. 
And she also doesn't, she doesn't just see the blanket. She sees who she's going to give the blanket to. You were the same thing. Even if it's a sweater. If you guys get a handmade knit sweater, you love it. Even if it's a sweater with a duck on it, you love that thing. Because it's handmade. It's handmade. And you, and you, and you, and you, and you are handmade. You're handmade. And God's not worried, and God's not worried about how long it takes you. He's not worried about the intention, the attention to detail. He sees the blanket. He sees you. And he doesn't just see you. He sees you and who he's going to give you to. You're handmade. You're handmade. Knit together in your mother's womb with attention to detail. You're handmade. If you want to live an abundant life, begin to understand and believe that you're handmade. Stop comparing yourself, but be content in who God's made you to be. Second thing, need to possess and display a relentless pursuit of your calling. I mentioned I'm the volunteer coordinator at Lifesong Church, so I get to facilitate our, our growth track, our, um, I don't know, our spiritual gift profile. You guys have that tonight, um, which I'd encourage you to go to. It's just an awesome, awesome thing. But we facilitate that at our church, ours is tonight as well. And here's the deal. I feel like as a church, we've done a good job confusing things when it comes to volunteering. And hear me out on this. You go to this spiritual gift profile and you get this personality type or your spiritual gift, your motivational gifts. You find out who you are. And then you're given all these options of areas you can jump in. And you leave these meetings, oftentimes the conversation I have with folks, overwhelmed by the choice of where to serve. I believe God is specific in how he's designed you for a specific time, in a specific way, for a specific purpose. But I think as a church, we tend to overcomplicate it. Let me read a verse to you, and then I want to kind of expound on what I'm thinking about. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living, part. Everyone say part. Part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. That's out of the message paraphrase. God's vision for our life is to play part in what he's already doing in everyone else's life, everywhere else in our world. But I find sometimes as church folks, we tend to wonder, has God created me to pour coffee on the third Sunday of the second month every other year? Has God created me to hold the baton in the parking lot because I look good in orange and park cars every other Sunday for a year? We overanalyze all the choices we have, but God is simply asking you and beckoning you to pursue a calling to play a part. Don't let this idea that God's created you to pour coffee, park a car, change that. And I'm not minimizing any of those tasks. I'm simply saying God has called our church to give opportunities to folks to play a part. Play a part. Play a part. Don't let analysis paralysis stop you from doing what God's intended for you from the beginning so you live a redundant life. He's asked you to live an abundant life. He's intended it. And part of that is playing your part in what he's doing here in your community. If you want to live an abundant life, be content in who God's made you to be. Relentlessly pursue opportunities to be his church. Not just attend it, but be it. The third thing, you need to be moved by compassion. Moved by compassion. Mark chapter 1, verse 41 says, Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. Jesus healed somebody not because he was able, but because he was willing. 
I don't think any of us question or, or doubt God's ability. But we often question whether he's willing to do something. God's willing. And why? Because he's moved with compassion. The word compassion means you long, you see someone in a situation and you long to take that off of them onto yourself so you can see them whole. So Jesus saw people in physical duress, emotional duress, spiritual duress, and he longed to take it on himself so they could be whole. That's compassion. And a lot of times you and I confuse sympathy with compassion. I don't mean be compassionate so we put a hashtag on the end of a tweet or we share a link on Facebook about a cause we say we're, we're for. I'm talking about seeing a situation and being so disturbed by the fact that something needs to be done that you are moved to do something because of compassion. If you want to live a life that's abundant, be moved by compassion. And I'm not saying pack up your stuff, pack up your family, move to Africa or Cambodia or Egypt. I'm talking about wake up and look around your neighborhood. You've got divorcees, orphans, widows, homeless, drug addicts, prostitutes, all on your streets. But because we get complacent rather than compassionate, we tend to forget they're there. Think about it. Think about it. I do it too. I do it too. I do it too. You drive through a city. You drive through a city or a town. You see a homeless person with a sign, and your first thought is, what caused that person to be in that scenario? I probably shouldn't do anything because that's, that's just his situation. He just needs to fill out a job application, shave that beard, he'd be fine. And I'm just being honest with you. But here's the deal. In the Bible, the, 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 the disciples go to Jesus and say, why is he in this situation? And Jesus says, not, it has nothing to do with why he's there. He's there so I can be glorified when he's not. And here's the deal, guys. Here's the deal. If we're going to be moved with compassion, we don't make our concern what's going to happen to the $5 bill and the peanut butter and jelly sandwich we give the guy in the corner. We let God do it. But we are often complacent or cynical about a world in which we live. But God has called us to be compassionate. And it's not about hashtags. It's not about sharing a link. It's not about being a missionary in a foreign country. It's about being awake to the world around you that needs Jesus in a real way and being moved by compassion to do something. If you want to live a life that's abundant and not redundant, be content in who God's made you to be. Pursue a calling for your life and be moved by compassion. And you'll see the life God's intended for you begin to, begin to be there. But as I said, you can go home and be like, you know what, I'm gonna be content. I'm gonna pursue a calling. I'm gonna be compassionate. But if you don't first believe that God has truly envisioned an abundant life for you, it'll only take you so far. Because life's about to get real every day, right? You've gotta believe that no matter what happens to me, no matter what I see, no matter what I experience, I believe that God has intended me for an abundant life. Not a Mercedes and money, but a life where I'm content in who God's made me to be. I'm not trying to be someone else anymore. I'm not trying to be comfortable all the time. When I'm upset, I'm going to forgive. When I goof up, I'm going to apologize. I'm not going to wait for someone to be the bigger person. That's me always. And I'm, not going to, I'm no longer going to be cynical about the world in which we live. People need Jesus too bad for me to be cynical. I'm going to be moved with compassion. And those three things won't lead you to God, but God will lead you to those three things. you got to believe that he's intended more. And I'll admit it. I'll admit it to you. To believe that God's intended me for an abundant life in the middle of circumstances and situations I found myself in wasn't always easy. 
But here's the reality. The minute I became a father, and the Bible talks about we can give good gifts, how much more so our heavenly father can give to us, I began to realize that God truly has intended me for more because of how I felt about my little willow. Try not to be distracted. I'm still teaching you something. (laughs) But here's the reality. I could always kind of understand a father's love from a father to a child. As a child, when I became a father, I didn't spend the nine months Lily had carried her envisioning a life where she was riddled by comparison. I didn't envision a life where she prioritized her own comfort. And I've never wanted her to be cynical. The dreams I had for my girl were of someone who was content and who daddy's made her to be, who was so sure that she's got a calling to pursue and that she's moved by compassion every day. And if I feel that way for her, I don't want you taking away all, wasn't that a sweet moment when Jason brought his daughter on the platform? Wasn't that sweet? But I want you to understand that the way I feel for her is the way God feels for you. Multiplied by the biggest number you can imagine. By the biggest number you can imagine. I love this little thing. She doesn't have to do anything. She doesn't have to do anything. I watch her learn to crawl. I watch her fall. I watch her try to stand up and fall. I watch her not, I watch her shut her finger in those little baby toys that are practically finger guillotines. And all I'm feeling is joy. Not because she's performing perfectly, but because she's learning through the process. And I want you desperately to understand that that's exactly what God feels for you. And he wants to hold you just like I held her and tell you that. But I understand on the same side that life takes us to places where we find ourselves bitter and living redundant existences because we're comparing, we're cynical, and we're pursuing our comfort. But if you would simply believe that God has intended more for your life, you would begin to think and behave differently. You'd begin to think, maybe, just maybe, if God intended me for more, maybe I can be content in who he's made me to be. I don't need to be him. I don't need to be her. I don't need to be them. I can be me. And get better every day because God has created me on purpose with a purpose. And just maybe instead of pursuing my comfort, I can pursue a calling relentlessly where I agree to be part of what God is doing in my community, in my church. I'm not going to make it about the task. I'm going to make it about who's making me do it, who's asking me to do it. I believe God's beckoning all of us. The question isn't, is he beckoning? The question remains, do we listen? And maybe, just maybe, instead of being cynical and bitter, we'll be compassionate and better no matter what we find ourselves in. You stand to your feet. Let me pray for you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I respect the privacy of the person to your left or your right. 
Every time I get to communicate, whether it's here or at Lifesong or, or somewhere else, at the end of the message, we often give what we call an altar call. We give you an opportunity to put your life in the hands of Jesus because that's truly the only way we're gonna get through this thing called life. With everything going on in the world right now, if we're not in the hands of Jesus, I don't know where we're headed. But with him, everything's better. We see things through his lens versus him through our lens. So again, with every head bowed, every eye closed, here's what I see when I give altar calls. I see people wait until someone else raises their hand so they know they're not alone. I don't want you to compare your story right now. Don't let it be corroded by comparison. God's trying to tell a story through your life. And some of you in this place aren't even aware of that yet, but I want you to be when you leave today. I want your life to be in his hands. I want the story to begin. I want you to see it differently, not because you're practicing three areas I highlighted today, but because you're believing God for more. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm not gonna point out how many hands went up. I'm not gonna say thank you for that hand. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna call you down front. I'm simply gonna count to three. And when I say three, I want your hand to go up. I want you to do business with God. This is between you and him. Please, no one looking around the room. One, two, three. Nice and high so we can see it. Thank you, Jesus. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for the acknowledged need in this place. You see every hand raised. You see every hand not. I believe you see every heart that's contemplating raising their hands, and you see every conversation that's happening inside, which justifies not doing so. God, you talk about, in, in, the, in the book of Acts, putting us in a place where perhaps we'd reach out for you, but these people are reaching for you, God. And I know that you're worthy, and I know that you're faithful to, to back up your end of the deal. So I pray that each person that's raising their hand would be surrounded by like-minded people. Seal the promise they're making right now in their heart so that they can live a different life, not because of circumstances, but because of company they keep. God, I thank you for their life. I thank you for their heart. I thank you for the story you're telling through their life. May they no longer compare it to someone else's, but instead be content. May they no longer pursue their comfort, but instead pursue a calling. And may they no longer be cynical and bitter, but full of compassion and better, because the world is better because they're in it. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your hand on this ministry. I thank you for the hand on these people. I pray that someone in this place would leave differently than they were when they walked in because they encountered you in a real, life-changing way. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen. You give God praise this morning.